Beats. They've been around since the beginning. But what do we really know about them? It's time to start asking questions. I'm Chris Brunt. This is Padre. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Chris Brunt. I want you to know we missed you. Did you miss us? It's been a while. It's a June morning in Syracuse, New York, and the sky is... Uh, it looks like fucking Chernobyl outside. Mm-hmm. Apparently there are wildfires in Quebec. Quebec, which is... uh. Last time I checked, uh, a whole different country, long way away from here. But many of you are probably seeing the same thing I'm seeing today, which is uh, a terrifying blanket of smoke trying to smother us all to death. You know, it's one thing after a fucking another, isn't it? This morning I'm dropping off Nico at daycare, and one of the daycare ladies, uh, you know, I'm walking out the door and she goes, What's next? Locusts? And I'm like, Yeah, I feel like I've heard that joke couple of times over the last few years. Here we go with the masks again. You know, the idea that this isn't going to be just a relentless onslaught, a a never-ending sequence of societal level events from here on out is a nice idea. But I think it's, you know, that kind of survival level complacency. It's it's kind of like the idea that we walk around thinking, I'm not going to die. Mortality doesn't apply to me. I'm going to be here forever. You know, where you have to be lulled into that fiction just to kind of put our shoes on, go to work, have lunch. It's noon on a Wednesday in June of 2023. And there's no clouds in the sky, but I can't see the sun. What's it going to look like 20 years from now when Julian and Nico are in there? mid-twenties. It's scary to think about. Let's not think about it. Who knows? Maybe by the time you're hearing this, uh, it will have succeeded. But if not, just in case we're still here, we have some new Padre for you. Season two is still in the works. We're still in the kitchen. We're still in the lab. That'll be coming soon, and we'll let you know when the premiere date will be. But in the meanwhile, There's a lot I've wanted to do on this show that I haven't been able to fit, even in our, you know, shapely and voluptuous 75-minute episodes. So I'm going to take this opportunity over the next few weeks to share some of this content with you. I have a couple things in mind. The first, which you're going to hear shortly, is a series with my friend Brad Franco called Bad Dads. You've heard Brad Franco's name. At the end of every episode, when I'm thanking people, Brad's a really special part of this show. Brad taught me how to use GarageBand, which I used to edit this show together. Brad was present for some of the initial conversations where Padre was manifested into the universe. And Brad is my co-host for this miniseries in which we litigate very often a head-to-head matchup of some of the worst dads in human history. 
We'll talk about dads from ancient literature, modern literature. We'll talk about dads from religion. We'll talk about dads from world history. We'll talk about some dads that are still even alive today, out there being terrible. Think of this as the dark twin of the Not a Terrible Father in This One Instance Award. The dads that we're going to be talking about, Brad and I, are absolutely monstrous fathers in nearly every instance, which makes them really fun to talk about. I hope you enjoy this new piece of the Padre universe. Also on tap for you is a mini-series called The Padre Review, where I bring on some of the most exciting writers, poets, novelists in America today to show me some of their favorite examples of poems and stories and novels that make sense of the experience of having children, of being children, of remembering one's childhood, being responsible for the childhood of your own kids. It's a great series. We bring on some really amazing people for you, and I'm really excited to start sharing this content with you. So stay up with us. These bonus episodes will appear about once a month. In the meanwhile, keep in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter at at PadrePod. Same handle on Instagram. There's also a Facebook page for the show that's just Padre. Let us know what your favorite episodes were from season one. Let us know who we should talk to in the seasons ahead. And as always, share with us stories of the dads in your life who are not terrible in at least one instance. Lots more on the way, unless this is in fact the smoke apocalypse. Smokeopolypse 2023. Good luck, everyone. Okay, coming up, Bad Dads with Brad Franco. Talk to you soon. Brad's here, everyone. Brad Franco, our friend, our expert uh, in all things fatherhood, be they literary, historical, religious, cultural, anthropological, musical, musical. Because you know, Brad, you you yourself, you're you're the quintessential Renaissance man, a polymath, you? if you will. You're a professor of history. I am. You're, that makes which means you're a teacher and a writer and a scholar and a you, father. You're a husband and a dad and a son and a brother. Right? I am. You are a artist. Sometimes. A musician. Yes. You are a an, uh, an amateur basketballist. We can we can probably stop there. That's probably a sufficient list of things I'm not actually all that good at. All right. Well, today on Bad Dads, I thought we would talk about something, a subject that you're really interested in, that you've thought a lot about. The Portland Trailblazers? God the Father Almighty. Which one? Well, I mean, we could talk about all kinds of gods, right? Because so in so many traditions and so many cultures, God is rendered as a father or father figure or very often the father of other gods, right? Sure. Um, they're the father of demigods, half mortal, half God, right? That's kind of, you know, the Greek and Roman tradition. But I know I thought we'd sort of limit ourselves to a, an idea of God that's pretty familiar to to you and I, given our upbringings and our, our own backgrounds, which is the Christian or New Testament idea of God, both as a father himself, sort of unto himself, right? The father of humanity, the father of creation, but also God as the father of Jesus Christ, 
I guess my question with that, though, is, are you talking about Yahweh? Are you just talking about sort of Christian reinterpretation of that? Well, you tell me, when you read the Gospels... The Gospels, that would be a very different God than what's depicted in the Old Testament, right? But why? They're, they're, Jews wrote the Gospels, so why, why do they have a different God than that which is portrayed in their own scripture? Because if you look at, say, Acts of the Apostles, where Peter has a vision and where God not, says... But yeah, yeah but you know, Peter says that he has this vision in which God tells him to do the things that Old Testament God said very explicitly not to do, right? Eat unclean animals, to associate with Gentiles, right? That's how Peter takes it, is to be, we are, this is not a parochial local God of a particular people, but it's the God of everybody. And so there very clearly is a shift from the Old Testament God who will smite everybody, but will also protect his people, but will certainly, you know, smite everybody else, where loyalty is really, in obedience are the sort of underlying principles to a New Testament God that is much less willing to destroy his creation, right? The only real death that um, New Testament God does is in when he kills Ananias because he doesn't give everything to this movement. But, you know, it's, it's very different than sort of, I'm going to bring the flood or I'm going to knock down your tower or whatever else, other examples you want to point to from the OT. I don't know. I feel like pushing back against that entire characterization a little bit. I mean, you can do that all you want. You're just wrong, but go ahead. God in Exodus, which is as Old Testament as it gets, is sort of announcing himself God of the whole world. He's just smiting Egypt to make that point. That's like his coming out party. That's his grand entrance on the world historical stage. I'm not just the God of Israel, right? I'm not just God of the Hebrew slaves who were coming up out of Egypt. I'm, I'm Lord of everything. Go right? on. And I'm going to, I mean, Pharaoh is, is how I'm going to make my point. That I demonstrate my loyalty to a particular people and screw over everybody else who isn't good to them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, yeah, it's, it's, because I'm in char- it's because I'm in charge of everything. I'm picking favorites? Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> Israel is his, is his favorite, right? But he's still the high God, right? There's no... You shall have no other gods before, like you know. He's wait, wait. He's, you didn't even you didn't even finish the sentence because you realized inv- that it was problematic as soon as you started. <laughs> he invents monotheism, right? He invents monotheism. He, he, he you can't no argue that thing. for for okay. for all of the Hebrew scriptures, he's a just this local warlord deity, right? No, he, certainly there's tension in particularly the prophets, right, where you do see the obvious push toward monotheism, which by its definition would have to move him beyond a local god. But in terms of how he's functioning, I don't think you could make a, a, a strong case that the guy you see, I mean, I'm thinking specifically Genesis, where he's a dick, like he is. And, you know, New Testament God isn't isn't anything like that. Push back on that, dare you to. Well, because I just I I, I hate his that. treatment of Job. He's 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 such a nice guy. God yeah, no, is no, no, so, no. I mean, of know, course, you, you. It's very easy to make the rap sheet from the Hebrew scriptures of of how bad God is. But yes, I just I really what we hate, do. I really can't stand. I feel like that's a rooted in a kind of like anti-Semitic Christian theology. 
like supersessionist theology that like the New Testament is where God becomes really nice and loves everyone and benevolent. But the Old Testament God is really mean and uh, and only only the Jews really pay attention to that book anyway. So let's move on to Jesus. You know what I mean? Like that's the, uh, why are you so anti-Semitic, Brett? Wow. <laughs> intensely. You're intensely wrong there. Um, no, what I'd say is as a historian, I think it's important to not go all theology and pretend like the inconsistencies that are so obviously present everywhere are are somehow depicting the same person or same God. That somehow when God in Genesis 2 or 3 says, you know, look, he's eaten from the tree of good and bad, and, and if he eats from the tree of immortality, he'll be just like us, to say, oh, he's talking about the Trinity there, right? Like, no, yeah, no, of course. Of course, of course not. not. Yeah. And so I understand it as the idea of whether you want to call it continued revelation or of a developing understanding of, of, of God. I mean, we always, we always make God in our image. I mean, that's sort of what humans do and our own image of ourselves changes over time. And thus our conception of God changes over time. And so, yeah, it, it might be too reductive to say all of the Hebrew Bible has a negative depiction of God. No, I'm talking specifically about Genesis. And I think more broadly, God's willingness to cause harm on other humans, of course, tells us a lot about ideas of loyalty, ideas of power in the ancient world, far more than, than to me they do about some all-knowing, all-caring all being, which in fact is often where this ends up playing out in the Christian tradition, right? So, hmm. um, you know, and I'm also very aware as a historian of like in the 14th century when the plague hits, all of a sudden it's like the only quotes people are finding to justify this is they want to go back and, and, and say, oh, look, Look at this! Look at this Yahweh guy striking down, sending you know arrows of of death our way, um, you know, just like just like some of the Psalms mention or whatever. So yeah. you know that's 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 why you're the anti semite is what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's move into a, an area of scripture that where you're just clearly far more comfortable, right? The Christian Gospels, the New Testament, um, what you would call the the real one or the the good. I'm not one. a Christian, to be clear. <laughs> I'm a historian of Catholic Church history. Oh, okay. But I am not a Christian. Oh, you're not. You're not a believer. You're not a man of profound. Not, I'm a man of. I'm a man of faith. I'm not feeling. a man of your faith. My what's what's my faith? You tell me. Mm. Oh, I don't. I'm going to keep it private for my audience. Listeners, it's between right. me and God. Right. <laughs> it's between me and Allah. Sorry. It is between me and Allah. Actually. Cool. I will say this. I am. I. I don't consider myself a believer. Except, Do you consider yourself an achiever? Except when uh, I listen to someone like Common lead a prayer in a uh, in a sort of a group setting. You know what I mean? Like when he's like in a circle and he's, people are holding hands and like Common saying the prayer, then I'm like, yeah, I believe in this shit. So only when you're hanging out with Common? Count me in. Yeah, like me and, you know, Common, if we're together hanging out and he says a prayer or or someone like that, someone with the, uh, the, sort of that sort of spiritual presence. Right? Pedigree. I mean, yeah, it's like, I don't know, like religious belief to me is like almost an entirely aesthetic phenomenon for me personally. Uh, like you were talking about like Presbyterians have beautiful churches, yeah. right? Like like Catholics, right? They have, you know, they-, they, they Why do you ar- think I became a historian of the Middle Ages, Chris? It's they had good the churches. They had good architects. Yeah. Um, whereas the Protestants, eh, I mean, most of them, right? Most of the- Let's sects- put it in a basement and call it a church. Yeah, or like let's just prefab out a you know nice little rec center. Yeah, I can't feel God there. I can't. You need grandeur. I need I need stone 
and and stained glass or you know it's in somebody's voice right thank you like there better not be a fucking electric guitar that's what i'm saying really okay but, I would, but an organ you're cool with well, well what kind of organ are we talking about you know uh, uh, a church organ sure well i mean you got you can give me all the pipes or you can give me the gospel organ too right i'll take the you know the hammond um <laughs> or what have you you'll take it on your uh beatles tracks and your church music okay. yeah i'll hear god in billy preston's organ and exactly. for sure for sure i mean let it be that is the voice of god isn't it it i mean there you go maybe so back to the topic at hand chris i, I mean i think there are, I, I know again there's sort of two ways of thinking about fatherhood as pertains to God in the Christian New Testament. One is is what we've kind of been trying to work out already, whether it's, you know, we're supposed to understand God as the sort of Lord of the universe, which is then the father of human beings writ large. Yeah. And, and how that idea gets developed in Christian thought. But, but then there's this other, you know, I think kind of more darkly interesting uh, idea of fatherhood, which is that God is Jesus's father or Jesus is God's son, right? Which, and there's plenty of support for this in the gospels themselves, right? Jesus is very much a, a human character walking around, you know, Galilee, walking around Jerusalem, referring to his father in heaven, right? Yahweh, his, his dad. Daddy. Um, and then, of course, there's the whole wrinkle of, of of his actual human parents, right? Joseph and Mary of Nazareth, right? Yes. Um, who are his actual parents, at least on a you know, non-mystical mortal plane. But I think that, you know, that one is kind of even more of a fucked up ordeal. <laughs> I mean, like, well, they're both they're both pretty strange. Let's be clear, right? I'm going to create mankind and then watch them fail and then wipe them out and then start over and then watch them fail and watch them fail right that's that's one the other is i'm going to send down myself into a new human being that's also me then i'm going to argue with that person their entire lives until they decide to send back up to be me again it's very schizophrenic i remember as a little kid sitting in church you know mostly zoning out but when i when i would zone in uh, i think that is because like the minister was saying something that you know, that kind of like, yeah, like sort of snapped me out of my my boredom. And it was usually about this narrative of of God the Father and Christ the Son. I think I was really interested in this idea as a kid because it seemed really fucked up. And I kept waiting for the minister to say something that would make sense about it. And, you know, he never did. Well, that's but, how they always treat the Bible, you know? You just assume it makes all the sense in the world and you say it with a cheery face and you move on to the next thing. I don't know. I mean, you're you're sitting there and you're staring up at the cross, right? It's like looming in front of you. So it's like, it's the focal point. And so you're kind of meditating on this symbol of his crucifixion, right? Of his, of his murder, of his sacrifice. It's sort of odd if you think about it, that, that we give Abraham a hard time for totally being willing to kill his own son, Isaac. And yet God very willingly and necessarily insists on a son dying. Even when a son says, hey, if there's any way to not make this happen, that would be great. But, but that's why I think Christianity has, has like wrapped itself around the axle so many times over a couple thousand years as to whether these two entities are the same or not. 
because it's a little more palatable if God says, all right, fuck it. I'll become my own son and come down to earth and let myself be killed. And this was all my plan all along. No worries. I got it. (laughs) You're all forgiven now. Isn't this great? I made you this great, this cake universe. You're welcome. Versus. It's kind of, but, but why would he have to come down? If he's already God, couldn't he have just made things, tweaked it a little differently at creation to not have to do that? Yeah, well, you know, then you get into like the whole enlightenment, you know, Leibniz, best of all possible worlds, you know, what did evil have to exist, all that kind of shit, right? And you don't have time for that shit. We don't have time for that. We only have like, you know, what, seven, eight minutes tops here? I, I think, LOL. I think it's harder if if you actually imagine them as separate, right? As a father and a son and the father, yeah, committing child sacrifice for the benefit of all humanity but beginning by saying of all eternity you're gonna have some shame on the fact that people aren't gonna believe you that i'm your dad so i'm just gonna run away you're gonna be raised by this guy everyone's gonna know something weird came up and your dad's a (laughs) cuck okay and that's gonna be your reality that's your entire existence okay and then at the end by the way you're gonna have like 100 fans and then as soon as that happens you're gonna get killed it's gonna take three days to die it's gonna be awful up on the on and on and on so i mean jesus He's a pretty consistent character, even across all four Gospels, right? Which differ in a lot of really important ways. But one thing that's consistent is kind of what an asshole Jesus is for the the most time. Um, I would use the word, he's rebellious. No, I mean, he's prickly as fuck. You don't think you'd listen to him if you're on the street corner? No, he says amazing things. But I mean, even to his own disciples, you know, he's like, he like speaks in these almost impenetrable parables. And they're all like... Did you mean this? And he's like, no, you fucking moron. Jesus, just get away from me. You know, and then he storms off. And it's like. It's weird when he says, Jesus Christ, and then storms away. <laughs> it's very odd. I mean, that. you know, count count the times Jesus is nice to someone across the Gospels. It's like, it's like twice. It's always random too. It's like, what do they do to deserve that? Well, he's usually, he's usually nice to someone to spite. He's nice to person A to teach person B a lesson. Well, he's you a know? teacher. So he's being like, a, even in his nicer moments, he's still being a dick to somebody. So do you think he's acting like a father in those moments? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I just think, I just think, <laughs> I, I just think that like the, like the cuddly Jesus trope is, is he not had a, in the actual book. Dude, uh, it's pretty obvious. We have relics of Jesus's drum circle. We have relics of Jesus's guitar. Okay. I mean, it was a liar. I agree. But... Jesus knew to add extra strings. So. His ethical philosophy, like who he saw, who he aligns himself with, that stuff is all like radically compassionate and unfatherly and, and utopian. You know, he's sort of a, he's a total um, sort of leftist, wild-eyed, you know, revolutionary. Hey, what about Jesus' whole thing about? But his actual if vibe, you want to actual... follow, hold on, hold on. If you want to follow me, you must hate your mother, your and your mother, and your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about that? Yeah, is he telling them to hate God? No, he's just saying, like, like I hate Joseph and Mary, my parents. So he's calling Joseph. Who's his dad? Is it Joseph or is it God? He means, you know, your your earthly parents. Fuck he means that. the cuck. He means the cuck that Mary's with. Yeah, this, this, this fucking loser married to my mom. That's who he's talking about. <laughs> this nobody. It's kind of mean gets, to Mary. What did Mary do? Other than give birth verse, to him. He gets three verses in one gospel. Fucking Joseph. Who gives a shit about him, right? Am I right, guys? It and is funny. In the middle, in, in medieval art... He's always just sad with his hand on his head, either sleeping or just looking like he got cucked. What's really funny is that Jesus has siblings. 
like a lot of them. And like, but you know, Joseph still gets the still. (laughs) He, you know, he wasn't good enough to have conceived the Christ child. But here's the thing: if you buy into, and I know you don't, ideas of of the Immaculate Conception, right? Not unless if Common was saying this, then I would totally buy into it. But go ahead, Brad. Well, just the whole way in which Mary is supposed to have never. She's literally the Virgin Mary. She's not the virgin till 15, and then she had five other kids, and that's cool. It's like, it's like perpetual, ever eternally virginal, right? And yet there's all these other kids that you would think God didn't make. Otherwise, they'd be, you know, Jesus. And so it had to have been... None of, none of it makes any sense. Yeah, well, that's been established, and none, none of it makes any sense. If you're, if you're the continuity editor of... If uh, you're the Joseph fan, <laughs> you could say, well, he came back after Jesus and went boom, 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 and made four more kids. Have you ever read Jose Saramago's uh, The Gospel According to Jesus Christ? No. It's an amazing novel. It's incredible. Do you know Saramago? Okay. Yes. Uh, he wrote Blindness, you know, won the Nobel Prize, Yeah. Um, what have you. Portuguese writer, incredible novelist. He wrote a beautiful book. The first half of it's told from the point of view of Joseph. And then it moves into, wait for it. It does. It moves into Jesus's POV and it doesn't suck. Really? Yeah. No, it's one of like the most, uh, I think, like daring, ambitious achievements in like late 20th century fiction. He writes a, a novel from Jesus's point of view and it's good. Wow. And it's weird and like wild and like there's a lot of sex. Jesus having sex? I don't want to, you know, no spoilers. Okay. Jesus as a son who is, I mean, let's set Joseph aside because that's basically his stepdad, right? Yeah. His, who, even his, if it's his real dad. Yeah. Even if, <laughs> even if, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on. That's your dad, bro. Yeah. That's your real dad. I know we, you know, like, he's not my real dad, man. My real dad's super fucking important, actually. He's just he's not like, here right now. He's like the God of gods. <laughs> <laughs> you ever read Genesis? That's my dad. <laughs> um how many people has your dad killed has <laughs> your dad ever like drowned an entire army in a fucking river so. uh, that's great is he a good son is he a good son yeah he's a good son to joseph no no no. he is a good son to his father the lord the lord no to, to joseph he he flat out disowns as a child right they're they're coming back yeah. from you know from the temple in Jerusalem. And literally the only story we have of jesus and they have under a 25 and they, and they have their home alone moment where's kevin right okay. they're they're halfway back to to fucking nazareth and they go where's jesus fuck we forgot him so they have to go back to jerusalem and they find him in the temple teaching the like elders hey have you ever read the sequel to that where they actually go meets to Donald Trump. New, York, <laughs> New York City and meets Donald Trump. Exactly. You beat me to it. Sorry, man. Sorry. Have you watched that movie recently, by the way? Home Alone 2? No, I have yeah. not. We watched it this Christmas. And I know this is not what you want to talk about, but let me just say, Kevin catches the bad guys in the store robbing. And instead of calling the police, he smashes the window, has them chase him to a house so he can just beat the shit out of them for like 45 minutes, like murdering them hundreds of times, like just over, like dropping literal bricks from a rooftop onto their heads. And then, and then he runs out of the house, runs to Central Park, and then, then he shoots off fireworks so the police come. It's like none of that was necessary unless you wanted to just fuck these two guys up. It's just cruel. I mean, he had a history with them, right? Isn't this, isn't it still Joe Pesci and uh, uh, the fucking the other guy? 
Yeah, so Joe Pesci and the fucking other guy. So yeah. he still has some shit to work out with them. I mean, they terrorized him. He's trying to have his fucking glass of milk and his bowl of mac and cheese, and they scared the shit out of him. So they had to come. Why, 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 why do you defend them so much? I guess you know, what I'm saying is, if you invite somebody into your house to just fucking crucify them, you're not a good person. That's not like a kind thing. It's not like they're attacking your house. You, is you, that you, not what the Lord did, Brad? And there you are. That's your sequitur, <laughs> if you will. From Home Alone 2. Thanks for that sequitur, big boy. How about Jesus questioning his father, saying, take this cup away from me? I was always confused as a kid that his final words were basically like, please, don't why, God, please why don't. have you forsaken me? Yeah. That always really, I mean, kind of, but in a, in a way, like the reason it stuck with me is because it's, it's dramatically interesting, right? This is supposed to be a version of God, right? God poured into human form. The schizophrenic version of God. And here he is. He's been tortured, humiliated, spat on, pissed on, and he's being He executed. wasn't pissed on. <laughs> In the Mel Gibson version, I think maybe there's a piss. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that was actually the, 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 the Pornhub version <laughs> of uh, The Passion of Christ. <laughs> that was the Compromat version. <laughs> oh, jeez. In Barack Obama's bed, no less. <laughs> So there he is, and he's been the the mortification of the flesh, right? He's been this is like an incredibly painful way to die. It's the way that the Roman Empire made an example out of traitors and what do you call them? You know, people who want to fucking overthrow the whole shit. Coup starters, coup starters, rebellious motherfuckers. Yeah. What what are you looking for here? Yeah, I mean they weren't com- usually they weren't common criminals who were crucified in this fashion. Oh, that's absolutely true. That's those who are potentially going to stir up dissent. In Judea, which is literally the most rebellious part of the Roman Empire from the first century BC through the Jewish wars half a century later after yeah. Jesus' death. I don't know. When I when I would teach the New Testament in my classes, I, you know, I'd do, I usually do like the Gospel of Luke or I did John once and it was it was wild. But mostly mostly I do Luke and I would take a really Me kind too. of narrative angle and then try to like, I don't know, I get bogged down talking to them about what happens in Judea in, you know, 66 Right, just a, just a couple of right before the Gospels are actually written, right? right? That's Please. what's so weird about the chronology of the New Testament, right? It's like you have Jesus dies, nobody thinks to write anything down for at least a while, and then you have Paul probably writing in the fifties. Those letters are are probably written by around sixty, mm. and then you have. I thought they were later. I thought okay, go ahead. No, I mean maybe the non-Paul Paul letters, since Christians love calling everything by Paul, whether it's by. Jim or John or Jeremy or Chris or, Ringo. or whoever. Yeah. Ringo, yeah. But yeah, I actually struggle with really how much of the gospel, you know, and obviously this is the big question that everybody's been struggling with for, I don't know, 1600 years now. But how do you, how do you tease out truth when it's very clearly written in a time when the mainstream followers of Jesus have very good reasons to separate themselves from Judaism? Because, and, and we've we kind of buried right? the lead here, right? For those yeah. who aren't familiar with what happened in 66, right? Jerusalem is leveled by the Roman Empire, right? They go into revolt. Uh, they do a pretty good job at the beginning. And then like Rome just puts the hammer down and it's just a genocide basically. Yeah. But to be clear, you have seven years before they're able to really claim victory, you know, and build the Arch of Titus and, and all that. And then the Colosseum as a result. But, um, but you know, this that's that's, I think the most surprising thing is Rome's so successful in so many of its wars, and when it comes to putting down an insurrection, you know, it's it's proves to be very very difficult. But the gospel writers 
all of whom are writing after yep. these events, writing about a Messiah, a Jewish Messiah, who's coming back to earth as the son of God to, to save the people, to save the people, right? And even though he's going to say things like render unto Caesar, he's going to say a lot more shit that's, uh, if you're a Roman, is is more concerning, right? Which is the only reason it makes sense that they put him to death, frankly. That he was an insurrectionist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The cell, uh, the leader of a cell. of yeah, Treason. Of, guilty of treason. Declaring himself God. And, and again, I think that's the strongest evidence that he did declare himself God is that the Romans put him to death for claiming to be a king when, as we know, the only king is Augustus. I mean, revolutionaries don't have time to be, you know, to have families. They don't have time to recognize their familial links because everything is given over to the struggle, right? Yeah. You don't have time to worry about your fucking dad. If you're a revolutionary, you know, yeah. you take your, your, uh, your nom de guerre and you're, you're with your fellow insurrectionists, right? And that's all that matters. Everything is given over to that. And you could see his ministry as a version of that, right? Totally. Yeah. Radical rejection of everything, right? Of, of, of family ties, of having a job, state obligations. Yeah. Having a freaking job. Do you know Jesus was not a carpenter? That's not what I heard, Brad. He's not a carpenter. I was told uh, in no uncertain terms that he uh, had a nice little carpentry shop um, right there on the uh, the high street of Nazareth. Well, Chris, the Greek word that's used is actually just day laborer. Day laborer. Yeah. Not a mm-hmm. carpenter. That's like a BS 19th century. So not century even like a union guy reading. then. Dude, no. He's he's the migrant that you pick up at, at outside of Lowe's being like, hey, I, I'll work. Yeah, well, Jesus. I mean, you know, isn't Nazareth also, there was like eight people, and it wasn't even like really a town. It was just like a a, a, a stop on the road. No, it actually, in the uh, in antiquity, they had a let's go, and in it, it actually said world's dumbest, most meaningless, ugliest town. And so yeah. you'd stop there just to see what a town should not look like. Yeah. Yeah, there were like four buildings. It would be like the Messiah coming back. To Tully. To Tully. The Tully, New York. Yeah. <laughs> or Cortland, but not really Cortland. Probably McGraw. McGraw, New York. I mean, that's... Yeah, Cortland's uh, far too point. cosmopolitan for... Uh, yeah, Tully. For this effect um, to work. Yeah, there's there's a number of places south of Syracuse, mm. south of where you are now, where you'd, you'd be like, yeah, this would be a good place. This is definitely the middle If of I were God and I was going to pour myself into the mold of a human being, I would come back here because no one would ever look for me here. This would be pretty funny if I was from here. It's the divine yeah. sense of humor, right? Yeah. I don't know. So. I can't quit thinking about the idea of Jesus as the, seeing himself at least, whether it's a you know delusion or, or psychosis or reality or super reality, seeing himself as the son of a heavenly father, the right? Heavenly the heavenly father. father, who he's sort of conceptualized as a kind of being, right? As yeah. Abba, as, as my dad, as father. Right from an early age, yeah, and knowing that the the plan on which the fate of the whole world hinges is for him to be sacrificed, killed, murdered, and having um, to live with that your whole life, living with it, like no wonder he's such a dick to everyone. No wonder yeah. he was so impatient and um, you ungrateful bastards. I will die for you soon. That's yeah. how I am to my children, mostly. You know. You ungrateful. I mean, that really increases like the pathos of the story. I mean, it makes it a much sadder and kind of more, it gives it so much more grandeur to see it that way. And I think that's yeah. the Catholic church is, is really good at grandeur, right? That's kind of their thing. Totally. 
Well, um, my favorite depictions of Jesus, right? Even infant Jesus, 14th century depictions of Jesus. It's always this, you know, this is before you get into the Renaissance where Jesus is a baby who looks like he shits and so on. Just this is like old man Jesus that you see around 1300 in, in Giotto or Duccio, where you really do see Jesus and Mary having this moment of understanding and, and knowing, of mm. sorrow, of, you know, Mary's sad because she knows she's going to, this baby's going to die. And Jesus looking up as, as you know, I, I'm, I'm here to do what I've been called to do. And it's okay, mommy. You know, uh, we'll have some fun together before then. I mean, you get that in the Pieta, though, as as she's holding, she's well, cradling, she's cradling the adult Jesus in yeah. her arms, and yeah. it's and, and and it is does have that wrenching quality. Well, dude, that's the Pieta, yeah, of course, yeah, pretty good know, one, and, right? Pretty good. I art. mean, it's it's pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> as an artist, do you think it's pretty good? <laughs> I'm just thinking of like, um, you know, there's a circular Maesta Virgin of Majesty by Michelangelo in the Uffizi. And I'm thinking of a number of works by uh, Raphael in which Jesus is like blonde hair, blue eyes, and is like, you know, taking a shit in his mom's lap. Like, just like, like, you know, fidgety, fussy, not this older, wiser person, but really depicted as a baby. Yeah, not just not, or, or this like kind of superhuman, you know, like shooting lasers out of his fucking cock. You know, like late, late, I'm talking about late Renaissance here, right? Circumcised <laughs> laser dick. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, the invulnerable, you know, or like the buddy Christ, you know, they're kind of just like, everything's great. I'm Jesus. What could go wrong? <laughs> I love, but buddy Christ is one of my favorite I, religious icons, I would say. My favorite, um, Ricky Bobby praying to baby Jesus. Baby Jesus. so exactly right. It's so exactly right. Why? It's Why like, is it so right? Well, because... There is this sort of divergence in the way in which you have sort of Jesus as radical or Jesus on the cross dying for humanity. And then you have Jesus, the baby, the symbol of hope, the symbol of love, the symbol of promise. And it's like, I want to pray to that guy. I want to, I want, I want baby Jesus to bless me. The simple hearted version of thanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't, we don't need to worry about Let's leave aside all of the child sacrifice and, uh, you know, drink my blood, motherfucker, all the goth elements. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just, just simplify it to help me, baby Jesus. I don't know. I mean, maybe get into the whole like liberation theology and, you know, the idea of the theology of the oppressed. And I don't know, we could, there's a lot more to talk about here, but. Always, um, Chris. But thank you, Brad. Just keep it to 20 minutes. I thank little baby Jesus that he brought you to me all those years ago so that we could have oh. conversations like this where we blaspheme his name um, uh, on the internet. It was real. It was fun. And uh, I look forward to doing it again soon. All right, buddy. See you soon. we got God out of the way. You want to do your hardest, most daunting task first. Then you can coast. What do you think?
whether you're of the Christian faith or a different faith or like pretty obviously me and Brad, no faith whatsoever. What do you make of this fascinating and deeply troubling portrait of fatherhood we get in the story of Jesus in the New Testament? And look, I I know the theology. Even if Brad and I didn't cover every single base, it's pretty clear. It goes something like this. We are God's children and we are all sinners. Therefore, God, as our father, executes a grand plan to redeem us by sacrificing his son or himself, depending on who you ask and when you ask them. But you see how this kind of splits the difference between God, the father of us, and God, the father of Jesus? What makes Jesus an interesting literary character is that he doesn't really see it that way. God is his father, his Abba. And that makes what's going on here in the gospel narrative fantastically dark. Greek tragedy, dark. Succession, dark. Go on out there, son. Go talk to the Romans. Daddy's got this plan. Who? Who? It's supposed to be the other way around, right? We as parents sacrifice ourselves for our children. And but then there's the interpretation that like Jesus, we're meant to die to ourselves, to die to the flesh somehow, a kind of metaphorical self-sacrifice in order to make way for the spirit of God be granted eternal life, etc., etc. It all gets very complicated very quickly. But if you just go back to that basic storyline of a man who believes his father needs him to die in order to, insert abstraction, redeem humanity, it's bracing stuff. It's hard to look away from that. I have to tell you, I love this stuff. Whether it's the Hebrew scriptures or the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita, there's just endless depth to it. Mostly because it it doesn't really make a lot of narrative sense and we have to make it make sense. Do the hard work of exploring its possible meanings and poetic truths as they might relate to our lives, our own world. And again, setting religious belief aside, I found that to be worthwhile. Feel free to get in touch on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Set us straight. Don't try to save our souls. That's a fool's errand. That's folly. Look at the forests around Quebec right now. That's what my soul looks like. Okay, what do you got? Little squirt gun? No. I'll be back with Brad and maybe some special guests for the next episode of the Bad Dads miniseries next month when we'll be talking about... Ooh, don't you wish you knew? Some really, really, really bad dads. Subscribe to Padre on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio now so you don't miss the next episode. That's our show. Thanks to Brad Franco, Julian, and Nico Binsbrunt. And most of all, little baby Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.